Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Today is the final day to grab our most popular package of document templates and spreadsheets, Entree Architect Foundations, business forms and checklists for small firm architects. Learn more at entrearchitect.com slash foundations. You are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, and this is episode 213. Welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, you're in the process of launching a startup, or you may be an experienced small firm architect just like me, just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. Today, I have a special guest with us. He's the man behind AIA Contract Documents, the comprehensive legal document system from the American Institute of Architects. For years, small firm architects have been uh, a bit disgruntled about the documents offered by the AIA, a, a bit bulky, a bit intimidating, a bit large firm focused. But in the past few years, the AIA has been working hard to serve our community too and AIA contract documents have evolved to provide many valuable documents specifically for us small firm architects. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, AIA contract documents for small firms, 
with Ken Cobley of the American Institute of Architects. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our longtime platform sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Core by BQE Software. And I'm going to share more about these great companies later, so listen up. But before we get started, just take a quick note right now. Go put it in your iPhone or jot it down. Go say hi to them. Go go check them out. RCAT, FreshBooks, Core by BQE. Let them know that you appreciate them for supporting us here at the Entree Architect Podcast because they are supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Kenneth Cobley, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here and thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Um, you and I have connected a bunch of times. Uh, you had written some, some uh, information for us years ago when we first started. Uh, and we bumped into each other a few times on online, but but let me introduce you to our community here. Uh, Ken serves as the managing director and counsel for AIA uh, National AIA contract documents. Uh, he works with a team of lawyers, specialists, and support staff, and the AIA documents committee in developing and publishing AIA contract documents and in providing support and services to contract users. Uh, Ken uh, joined the AIA, the American Institute of Architects, in October of 2006. Uh, he's a graduate of the University of Maryland, where he earned both the uh, BA and JD of, with honors. Um, he, uh, after earning his law degree and prior to joining AIA, Ken practiced for 18 years as a construction attorney in private practice Maryland law firms. Uh, during that time, he represented owners, contractors, subcontractors, and design professionals in a number of dispute resolution forums, including state and federal courts uh, and administrative agencies, mediation, arbitration. So he's got lots and lots of experience. So I, I'm glad you're here. Uh, legal, legal, legal issues and contract documents specifically are uh, a very, very uh, common question that we have at the Entree Architect community. So I'm really happy. Uh, Ken, that you you uh, you're spending some time with us here, and we can go uh, go through some of uh, the contract documents that AIA offers. But before we get into that, I want a little I want to learn a little bit about you. I want to know who you are. Uh, I want to learn your origin story. So so go back to where you um, discovered the law. Uh, what inspired you to become an attorney, and give us that that uh, that story from that point to to where you find yourself today at the AIA. Well, thanks. Um, it, it is a, a little bit of an unusual story. Uh, it's not like uh, I, well, you know, readily recognized that I wanted to be an architect or an engineer and, and uh, you know, went, at, went about it that way. Actually, uh, what happened was um, I, uh, I came to Maryland uh, because I, I attended the University of Maryland and I was a law enforcement major. Uh, and after I graduated uh, from college, I was a police officer for several years. Um, but uh, wanting to move on to something different um, and having a law enforcement degree, I thought that uh, a law degree was the logical um, uh, and quickest next step, which is what I did. Um, and then when I graduated from uh, law school, I went to work for a general practice uh, firm, uh, hired principally to do uh, some district court criminal and uh, and uh, auto tort and that kind of stuff. But the firm had a boutique uh, element to it, practice in construction. Um, and one day I got shuffled among the partner's offices 
And, uh, and the next thing I knew, I was an associate working construction cases. And I learned uh, just a tremendous amount at a really fast pace from some really bright lawyers. And I fell into it. And I really, really liked it. Um, and so that's, that's how my career launched. And that's how I stayed with it. And then, um, you know, uh, once I developed an expertise in construction, I stayed with that. I, I changed firms. And the second firm I worked for um, was a professional malpractice defense firm. And I had uh, the majority of the portfolio uh, that dealt with architect and engineer malpractice uh, cases uh, uh, in the, in, all over the region. Um, and so uh, segueing into the position with AIA contract documents was sort of a next step. Uh, it got me out of litigation and uh, battle every day. And it allowed me to put all those years of experience uh, to what I think is really good use. Um, and, I'm, and every day I get to work with really bright people, architects and lawyers and others in the industry around the country, um, trying to develop good tools and work in a put the law to work in a positive way for them. So that's kind of my background and story and, and how I wound up at the AIA. Yeah, the, the uh, well, first of all, Thank you for your service, being a police officer. I appreciate that, um, and and I think that that the um, the work that you're doing now is such positive work. I, I can imagine that sort of going through the the work that you had done previously is pretty stressful, and when you get to get to sort of help create contract documents and work with architects to sort of protect them, it's sort of the other side where you're sort of um, pr providing lots of uh, positive value to the profession from both sides. It sort of helps us all stay on the same page and, and, and helps the, the profession run really smoothly. So uh, thanks for your service at, at the AIA as well. What, I what I'm hoping is that, um, you know, our community are all small firms, uh, from sole practitioners to firms, you know, and, and the definition of small firm is, is wide ranging. Our community is typically 15 members and less, so really small firms. Um, some of us are not even using contracts, which is something that I constantly harp on that they, right. they should not be doing that. Um, but Correct. let's let's start with that conversation. Um, what should a really small firm, maybe sole practitioner, doing small projects? Um, why should they be using a document like the AIA contract documents? Uh, because the contract is um, is an essential part of. Uh, the relationship. Um, at the end of the day, um, this is a business relationship, and it's built on uh, a set of understandings and promises. Um, you know, the architect makes certain promises to the project owner about services they're going to render and things they're going to provide, and the owner makes certain promises back about principally about payment. For services, but also at times about other things, other uh, elements that the owner is going to provide or intangibles that the owner is going to provide. And everybody uh, goes about the process with a certain set of internal expectations, things that they think are understood. But oftentimes, what the owner understands and what the architect understands can be different. And so the contract is a perfect place to memorialize everybody's understanding, make sure everybody's working from the same page, 
And it's also a perfect place to, to um, document and create rules for issues that might arise on a project. Okay, I know the owner's going to pay me, but what are my payment terms in particular? How often am I going to get paid? Um, I, as the architect, believe that I have a, a right to the ownership of what I prepare, my drawings and specifications, what we often call the instruments of service. But some owners may believe that because they're paying for it, right. they own it. Um, we never like to think that a project is going to end poorly, but sometimes there's disputes. Well, how are they going to be handled? Do I want to arbitrate this? There are certain advantages to that. Or do I want to litigate it? Um, there are sometimes advantages to that. All of that can be addressed up front. But, so the parties have, the contract creates a, a set of rules and establishes expectations. And it gives everybody a place to go back to and say, okay, this is what I can reasonably expect because this is what the contract said. Um, and so that's why I think uh, all architects um, should utilize written contracts for their business uh, uh, relationships. Um, it doesn't have to be nasty. It doesn't have to be bad. Contracts can be fair and balanced. And quite honestly, that's what we strive to do with the AIA contracts is create a fair and balanced approach to the relationship so that the architect doesn't have to feel guilty about trying to uh, propose a lopsided agreement to an, to an owner, especially if they're not a sophisticated owner. Um, the owners don't have to uh, necessarily propose a lopsided agreement created by their lawyers. Uh, if you use a contract, an AIA contract document, um, we like to say you're starting from a, a fair and balanced uh, point in your memorialization of the terms. Yeah, I, I think the word expectation is so important because um, th that's sort of that that setups that sets up the 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 project to run successfully. It it's it sets up the opportunity for all parties to to be on the same page and and start building that trust, which is so important in architecture for everybody to trust one another. Um, and it's you know the contract itself is the perfect tool, like you said, to to set those expectations not only in writing but to have the conversation, to have a document that then you can now review with an owner and say, here's how the project's going to go, and this is what you can expect from me. This is what I expect from you. Uh, it's so critical, you know, to have to have those documents. Um, like I said, small firms, really small firms. What type of documents do the does the AIA uh, provide for our community? So we have a, a wide variety of documents uh, for use by uh, small firms and sole practitioners, um, both those that practice on the residential side and those that practice uh, in the commercial side or have a, a mix. Um, at the very, we we have documents that vary in size. Um, for many, many years, we've tried to work closely with uh, the Small Project Practitioners Group, uh, Custom Residential Architect Network, CRAN, yep. um, and the Small Firm Exchange in its various iterations over the years to try to get feedback. Um, we know that um, small firm uh, practitioners don't necessarily like lengthy contracts, um, and, we've, and so we've tried to address that through a range of uh, contract sizes. Um, but there are some warnings that people need to understand about small contracts and, 
and so on and so forth. Um, the smaller the contract, the shorter the contract, the less words means the less things have been fleshed out for clarity. Mm -hmm. And the more that things are going to be left open to interpretation by the parties and ultimately by the by a trier of fact, if things go badly and there's some sort of dispute uh, resolution that has to take place. Um, and so uh, we, we, we try to uh, caution everybody to say, look, depending on your risk tolerance and the amount of risk in the project, you need to select the contract that's going to do the best job of making things clear and hopefully minimizing risk. So, um, you know, if it's a small project, relatively low cost, pretty simple, maybe you want to go with our one of our shorter forms. Uh, the B105 is the is a short form agreement for an owner architect. Um, it's it's only really two pages plus a cover page. It's pretty basic, um, and it covers the necessities. But it's not going to go into detail about potentials for alternate dispute resolution. It's not going to uh, talk about uh, uh, in any detail licensure for the instruments of service. It's not going to do some of the other things that you might want if you have a more complicated uh, project. It's not going to um, really deal with the details, which sometimes uh, uh, you really need a detailed explanation of what, what services the architect is going to provide to avoid uh, a conflict. It's not going to. It's it's not going to go into great detail about what the owner might uh, expect as additional services versus what's in your basic compensation. It lays it out. Don't get me wrong. It lays it out, but but it doesn't go through the same level of detail and it doesn't go through the five phases. It's a sort of an abbreviated um, segment of that. Uh, we have the B104, which we call the abbreviated uh, form of agreement. It's longer, but it's not quite the full heft and depth of, say, a B101 or a B103 uh, that gets married to an A201. The B104 uh, is, is a little shorter. So depending on... Uh, the amount of risk and complexity in the project. That's the way we recommend looking at uh, the various documents that we have available, uh, increasing in, in length uh, as you get to the more complex uh, types, type of projects. So that, that's one, uh, one way to answer the question. The other thing is we have uh, some specialty contracts that uh, small project practitioners and small firms uh, might be interested in. Uh, recently, in the last couple of years, we, de we developed um, an owner-architect agreement for design-build. It's actually an owner-design-builder agreement for design-build residential work. Uh, so we have that out there, which, which we did in part to respond to uh, folks, uh, architects that were actually doing design-build and needed something uh, to memorialize that relationship. Because uh, remember, the design-build relationship is a little different. Than the, than the pure architect relationship. In the design-build relationship, the design-builder has uh, responsibility for both the design and construction. It's a one point uh, of contact and one point of liability and responsibility. And so um, some things are a little different in that relationship. We have that. Um, we also have developed uh, uh, an agreement between an architect and a developer-builder um, 
for a situation where uh, where you might the architect might be working with a developer builder uh, that's got a parcel of land and is now looking to uh, create three or four spec houses that they're going to replicate in this development. Um, it it it's a dramatically reduced scope and there's an altering of the responsibilities. Essentially, in that scenario, the architect is responsible for delivering a permit set of plans and specifications that the, that the developer builder can then use uh, to get the permits and get the, get the project started. The architect has very, very limited on-site inspection. The architect doesn't have to review payment applications. All Everything is, is essentially handled by the developer builder, but the contract clearly lays that out and clearly limits uh, the roles and responsibilities of the architect uh, going at it from the assumption that this is a, this is an experienced builder who should be able to build from uh, a permit set and who's willing to take on responsibility for selection of finishes, selection of equipment, that type of stuff. It's really just to get the basics necessary uh, for HSW and get it through the permitting process. Um, so we think that that's of interest to uh, to small firms. Um, I've got a few more, but um, but I, I didn't know if you had any questions. Yeah, I just so wanted far. to I wanted to ask two questions about those two documents. One is the the document that you were just talking about. Um, is there a um, a description of how the architect gets paid for those multiple designs? You know, you're building multiple buildings from one design. Is it is that clarified in that agreement? Uh, it, it is um, essentially the payment is is for the design. The knowledge is that the architect knows that uh, the design is going to be replicated. So you you build that into your upfront uh, uh, pricing. And are there are there limits on the number of units that can be built in that uh, agreement? We did not put them in, but certainly uh, that is there's there's a fill point in there for miscellaneous provisions that uh, can certainly be used to address right. that. Got it. You know, and and that's the beauty of of using uh, AIA contract documents, particularly if you you use them through uh, one of our software platforms. Is um, they're they're they they're a starting point. They have all the essentials. They got a lot of the key terms. Um, but if you use our software, they're they're editable. So um, you can you can modify things for a particular project or for your particular architectural practice, and you can always add things that are peculiar to your taste. So if, if you know, uh, wow, I, I'm willing to do it at this price, but I, I only want to see them on this project and I only want to see X number of them. Right. Certainly you can put that in, uh, in the contract itself. Yeah. That's a common question that we get in the community for, for architects who are in that situation. How do we, how do we limit, you know, put some limits on what they can use it for and what they can't use it for. The other question is, what are the, the numbers for those two agreements, that that agreement you're talking about and the design build? So if somebody's searching for it, they can sure. Them. Um, so let me see the. Um, the design build is a B. Uh, I think it's B1. I will find it for you. Okay. I also want to say that uh, as we're talking, I'll find it. But uh, I also wanted to say that all of this information is contained in a guide 
that we have published. In, in fact, I suspect that almost all the information that we're going to talk about on uh, on our discussion today is found in a guide that that we've published. Uh, and we did it with input from those groups that I mentioned before. And, and it's called, it doesn't have a number. It's one of the few documents that we published that doesn't have a number. But it's called the Guide to AIA Contract Documents for Small Projects. Subtitle is Resources for Small Project Practitioners, Including Small Firms, Sole Practitioners, and Custom uh, Residential Architects. And that's available uh, free for download um, on the AIA's website. Uh, so, uh, if folks want to come to the AIA website and uh, get download that guide, um, they can get all this information with links, multiple, multiple links um, to each of the documents that we're talking about. So, the, the, the uh, PDF guide is interactive and it will link you back and forth to samples and all sorts of related resources. Uh, so the B10, uh, B107 okay. 2010 is the developer builder architect agreement for prototypes for single family residential projects. Right. And then what about the design build one? Is that also, yeah. is that handy? Uh, I can get it in just a second. Yeah, the, um, the, uh, that guide that you described, the, uh, the AI contract documents for small firms, um, or, or that's not what it was called. Um, we'll have we'll have the link to that directly from our show notes and links to everything else that we're talking about as well. This is episode 213. So it's entrearchitect.com slash episode 213. entrearchitect.com slash episode 213. We're gonna have links to everything. So you can just go there and we'll direct link to all of these things. So you have that, that number? I do. It's the A145 2015. Okay. And it's an owner design builder agreement for a one or two family residential project. Okay, great. Because I know that there are listeners who want both of those documents. So that's why I wanted to make sure it was easy to find. And and the, the guide itself was a, was an answer to a question that I was going to ask. Uh, what is the, the, the best way for a small firm to find the right contract for the right project? It sounds like that guide is exactly what they need is to go find, read the guide, find the contract that that's right for your project, then they click the link and they'll take you right there. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Core by BQE Software. Your boss asks you to put together some CAD details for your firm's next project. What's your next step? What do you do? Is it using the basic internet search on, on your computer only to find outdated or, or incompatible details? Grabbing the details from your last project and, and hoping they fit in this project? There's an easier, faster, much less stressful way to get the information you need. RCAT.com. RCAT has over 15,000 CAD details based on real manufacturers' products and a powerful search engine to find just the right one that you're looking for. Best of all, it's free. You don't even have to register. You don't even have to give them your email address. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. Let them know that we sent you and then start downloading all the CAD details that you need for free. entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. FreshBooks. 
FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, automatically. I love that. Track your time for your whole team by project and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. My favorite feature in FreshBooks is the automated invoice reminders. I think sending invoices and getting paid is one of our biggest hurdles as entrepreneur architects. Who has time to get the invoices out and get paid, right? But if we don't send out invoices, we don't get paid. FreshBooks makes it easy to send out invoices and get paid online with the click of a button. I love this. And when your client doesn't pay you on time, and that's like every time, FreshBooks sends them a friendly email reminder through a simple system that you control. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, more organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Visit entrearchitect.com freshbooks to access FreshBooks for free. And be sure to enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. BQE Core revolutionizes the way architects manage projects, time and expenses, billing, and accounting. Core brings every part of your business under one roof so you can stop switching between systems and get back to work on being an architect. Made by BQE, the company behind ArchiOffice, Core saves you time while giving you the visibility, the flexibility, and the power you need to grow your firm. Work from anywhere, seamlessly collaborate, and gain transformative insights with Core's groundbreaking platform. Learn more and get a free trial, 15 days free, at entrearchitect.com slash BQE. RCAT, FreshBooks, and BQE software. Visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So you said you have some other um, contracts that you thought might be useful for us. Sure. Uh, so we know that oftentimes uh, small firms uh, wind up getting asked to do pro bono services yep. and that that's a good entree into what might then also ultimately become a paying commission. Um, and we recognize that um, even though pro bono services are being done without compensation, they're still replete with risk. Right. You have to perform your services, you know, even if you're doing them pro bono, you still have to perform in accordance with the accepted standard of care, and you still have to provide quality architectural services. Um, but there are ways to, again, set expectations for a pro bono client owner. Um, and so we undertook to create the B106 2010, which is the owner architect agreement for pro bono services. And it has some rather unique um, terms that we don't uh, necessarily uh, include in some of our other documents. For example, uh, this is the only AIA document that starts with a standardized limitation of liability. Um, we prompt the architect and the owner to agree on a number of different line items and set limits to things like uh, the number of meetings that the architect will attend, uh, the number of public meetings, um, the number of iterations of design, and so on and so forth, um, so that the pro bono owner understands that the architect is not 
just going to continually perform and perform and perform because the demand can go way up when somebody's not paying money, right? Right, right. Uh, having to make payments uh, by its nature sort of causes everybody to think about, okay, do I really want to ask for this service and pay for it again? Am I really unwilling to accept this design feature and ask the architect to redesign or to do something? So uh, so we've developed that uh, document um, with some of those issues in mind, uh, again, to try to help the party set reasonable expectations uh, and boundaries around what the services are gonna be. Uh, also, interestingly, while we define pro bono as not being paid, um, there are other elements that the architect can ask for uh, uh, that might might help uh, compensate them for their time. Like if you're working for an owner that would normally give certain um, rewards to people that were otherwise that otherwise gifted them amounts of money, uh, the architect could ask for those same types of rewards. Um, there's some publication. Uh, and and publicity elements that might be involved in things that the architect can get out of this pro bono relationship. And so we've tried to identify all of those things and created this document as a tool to prompt the architect to have those discussions with the owner and make sure everybody's uh, on the same page um, moving forward. Uh, that that's a great one. I love I love that. And and um, I. I see that the AIA is working really hard to address the, the issues that small firms have. I know when I first started uh, working in the profession and I went to look at the AI contract documents, there weren't as many, you know, that were available for us. You sort of had to go with the bigger, bigger documents that sort of scared residential clients. And so I think it's uh, it's a, it's a it, great to have these these documents. The other the other thing that I just wanted to mention, you had mentioned the software. Um, if anybody had used some of the early software that that AI was releasing for contract documents and got really frustrated with it, I want to let them know that the the software has improved tremendously and is much easier to use and much more editable. Uh, and so if anybody sort of has uh, feelings about the AIA software for contract documents, you should give it another try because they've improved it tremendously. Well, thank you for that. And uh, there's there's a couple things I'd like to point out about um, uh, the software and or our online offerings, um, which we think are important for uh, small firms uh, because we know cost uh, is a factor. Um, right. And so uh, in the past, uh, the only way for uh, folks to get um, access to our documents that were fully editable and had all of the function and feature was to buy uh, a license, right. either a limited license or an unlimited license. Um, you may know that about a year ago, we launched uh, a new product, uh, which is um, an online, it is, an, we used to have a desktop version of the software, now it's, it's an online um, uh, web-based uh, product. And that gave us a couple advantages. It gave us the ability to address concerns of Mac users. We know that a lot of architects are Mac users, not PC users. Yep, I'm one um, of them. <laughs> right. And and so they used to get people used to get frustrated, yep. particularly with the earlier versions of the software, um, because they they didn't like the way it ran on their Mac. Um, they also uh, folks want anytime, anywhere access to the documents. And if it was tied to a particular PC, 
uh, in your office that didn't necessarily help you if you were traveling. Um, but uh, most importantly, um, small firms wanted to be able to get documents on a one-off basis. Now, we, we for a long time have had a product that we call Documents on Demand where you could go get uh, a PDF of the, of the document. And it was even editable to the extent that you could um, fill in the fill points online and print it out. Right. Um, but you that. couldn't edit the con you couldn't edit the text. And if we guessed wrong on the number of characters that you were going to need for a particular fill point, then you had to go to an exhibit or, or an attachment or whatever. With this new web-based product, we can sell every document we have uh, on a one-off basis. So you can literally go and purchase one document from us now, and it has the full functionality of editability that you would have found with the software versions. And we think that's really important. Yeah, um, I agree. And so, and, and so now with the development cost and everything, the price of documents is, you know, it is what it is. And we understand that some people might look at some of the documents and go, that's, that's too much to pay for a single document. But we think that if you're, if you want to edit like the owner architect agreement, but you're satisfied with the unedited text of, let's say, a form, then you can, then a small firm can balance use of both. Go to the editable document for what you need to edit, where you really want to edit it. Go with the uh, docs on demand version for things that you're really not going to edit the text for. And, and one other thing, at least within the AIA's larger uh, agreements, we make it clear that um, contract documents are reimbursable expense. I was going to mention that, yep. Right? So you could, because you're buying it on a one-off basis, it's not an overhead item. It's actually a project cost. And so uh, some architects are reluctant to do this, but I think others might cost out these documents as part of a project cost and take it as a reimbursable expense. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so I think that those those issues kind of help. The one, the one thing, though, that I do want to say about the new software is it's new software. Yep. And like every other software product, it's subject to some development quirks, and we're working on that. Um, and we found that if somebody's going to do significant editing or, or whatever, it is better for them to um, go to the site, download the document to their uh, laptop or desktop, and edit it offline. In order to do that, you have to have a Word-compatible product, but our, our experience is that almost everybody now is running some sort of um, Word for Mac or some other Word-compatible uh, product on their, on their laptops, and so it's not a big issue. Um, you download it, you do your editing, you upload it, it creates that uh, AIA official-looking uh, document um, that you can then print out um, and and there's a permanent record of it. And over time, it stays with your file. And if you liked what you edited in one document and two years later, you have a new project and you want that same language, go back and get it. Um, you can even create custom templates and just save them and then reuse the custom template uh, for particular edits that you like that you've incorporated into any one of our documents. Yeah. Uh, so, so for all of those reasons, we, we think that uh, this is a really good product and, and potentially powerful tool for small firms. 
Yeah, I, I would I would second the the reimbursable strategy. I I've been doing that for years. I never get a pushback on it. Um, you could do it. You could do uh, you know just put it in 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 the list of other things that are reimbursable. Um, and you know from a residential architect's point of view, clients don't even think second you know have a second thought about it. They just say, oh that's just another reimbursable and and you and you charge for it. Um, and then and then you can use the agreement you want to use. Um, do you have any other any other agreements that uh, you want to recommend? How about construction management agreements? Because I think there are two different ways of working construction management, and it's, and it's something that a lot of residential and small firm architects are exploring. Sure. So uh, the one thing I wanted to mention um, about the pro bono agreement yeah, yeah. is is that um, it you know the AIA likes to encourage uh, pro bono work in certain areas, uh, and so in order to encourage that, we make the pro bono agreement. Uh, free oh, for great. download great. In, in, the P, in the PDF format. Yeah. Um, so if you want it and uh, you don't want to pay for it, uh, particularly because you can't get it as a reimbursable expense here, okay. maybe, or you don't want to charge a pro bono client for it, uh, we'll give it to you uh, free in the in the PDF version. Yeah. Um, so you asked me about construction management. Um, so we, we have two flavors of construction management documents uh, because there's essentially two distinct CM delivery models. One is often referred to as CM at risk. It's where the construction manager is ultimately envisioned to be the project constructor, but they come on early in the project to provide pre-construction phase services, and that might be constructability review, uh, schedule development, uh, estimating, um, you know, some design assist, elements might be included in that. Uh, so those are our, uh, what we call our CMS constructor or CMC family of documents. The, mo the most commonly used is the A133. Uh, and those were published in, uh, in 2009. The other family we have, we call the construction manager as advisor. And that's a situation where the construction manager comes on as a separate consultant or advisor to the owner. It's not envisioned that they are going to actually do the construction work. Rather, they are going to oversee the work of either a general contractor or sometimes multi-prime. I think in New York, you guys do multi-prime stuff a lot, for, right? For public work, it's multi-prime. Public yep. work, right? Yep. Uh, and so uh, that's that. That's that is that arrangement. So at the beginning of the project, or very close to the beginning, uh, the owner is going to actually have two consultants the architect and the CM as advisor. And there's some overlapping mm -hmm. roles and responsibilities in the pre-construction phase. And then there's some significant overlapping roles and responsibilities during the construction phase between the architect and the CM. And our documents spell all of, uh, all of those out. Um, so uh, those are the two different models. It, uh, actually, we are work, they were last revised in 2009. Um, and as you know, I'm sure we often follow a 10-year revision cycle for our uh, major families, which are really delivery models. And so they're being revised now uh, for 2019 uh, release. Yeah. Yeah. The CM services, the two different way of delivering CM services, there's a significant difference in insurance protections as well. So people should be aware of that. Uh, the the CM as advisor is a great way to sort of dip your toe 
in the in the sort of the design build world where our architects can sort of start managing some of the construction process with a lot less liability, a lot less exposure in it from an insurance point of view. And then if that works and you can sort of become more full design build, uh, it's the way we started um, pr you know, proposing and, and delivering construction management services at our firm is a great way to do that. So do you have, uh, Ken, do you have any other, we're sort of wrapping up uh, time here. Do you have any other uh, documents you wanna share? Uh, there's a couple that might be of interest um and this these this offering this group of documents was actually uh uh done because we were responding to requests and feedback we got from from what was then the small firm roundtable is now the small firm exchange um we've developed master agreements and task orders and master agreements and service orders uh for use on projects and so um we the that was in response to those firms that said you know we'd like to have we we work with the same uh, we work for the same client over and over and over again and rather than renegotiate a contract every time we'd really like to be able to negotiate a working set of terms and conditions that are going that's going to apply to our work over the course of multiple uh, requests for services and just create a service order that describes the scope of the services to be provided, the time, uh, the payment, and so on and so forth. And so we have developed those. We have uh, an owner architect master service, uh, master agreement and service uh, order set. We have an owner contractor. We have an architect consultant. So for folks that are listening who might be consultants to larger architectural firms, or for firms that engage the same mechanical uh, consultant or structural consultant time over time, you might want to take a look at those documents. You execute it once, and then all you do is execute the service orders. There's no obligation on the party receiving the service order to accept any particular service order. So if they don't either have the bandwidth or they don't feel they have the expertise, they can decline. It doesn't void the agreement it doesn't create a hardship there's no obligation uh, and so what you what it in essence does is each time you execute a service order you're executing a new mini contract right you're saying look at these standard terms and conditions and apply them to this service order and then the next one and the next one and so um, again we think it's a valuable tool for some practices where you might have that relationship yeah. and want to memorialize it yeah, that's that's a great one. I love that. I never even considered that that they would that we uh, would need something like that. But that's just such a great service for maybe for somebody working in a with a, um, a small facility or a school district doing small projects where you can just have one master agreement and then every time they hire you to do another job, it's a much simpler process, much more efficient. So the, for the uh, owner architect agreement, it's a B one twenty one. 2014 master agreement between owner and architect for uh, service to, for services to be provided under multiple service orders. And then the service order number is just a B221. Uh, and uh, in addition, we have a C421 2014, which is the master agreement between the architect and consultant. And that has a, a, a corresponding right. service order as well. So. Uh, we hope that uh, we hope that those uh, uh, documents 
serve the small firm community as well. Yeah, yeah, super interesting. And again, we're throwing a lot of numbers and letters at you. So uh, entrearchitect.com slash episode 213. We're going to have links to everything here. Um, uh, so the website to get these contracts, aiacontracts.org is where you can find everything that we're talking about. The guide to AIA contract documents for small projects is the guide that, that Ken was talking about before. It's also available there. will also be available on our site with a link directly to that guide, which I think is sort of where you should start. Uh, sort of download that guide and read that, and that'll sort of guide you through the process of finding the right contract for the, for the right project. Uh, Ken, before we wrap up, I wanna ask you the one final question that I ask all my guests. Uh, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Uh, understand contracts and develop a uh, contracting process that you're going to repeat project after project. It's so critical that you get in the habit of utilizing a written contract and you need to understand the content and how it works. It's so important to a successful business. And I, and, and we deal with, um, we deal with small firm practitioners on the AIA contract documents committee, and each of them has good contracting habits and processes that they repeat time after time. And they're very successful practitioners. Um, so that's, that's my takeaway from having worked with them understand the contracts and develop a good practice that you implement every project and stick with your practices. Yeah, I, I think contract documents and the process of contract documents, it's a it's a critical key to success in business. And so uh, it's, it's, uh, it's so valuable to understand the contracts and the process that goes along with it. So Ken Cobley, thank you very much for joining us today here at Entree Architect podcast and for sharing your knowledge. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Uh, we always appreciate this opportunity. All right. I, I think that was a great episode. I'm, I thank Ken Cobley for hanging out with me and teaching me a little bit more about AIA contract documents. Uh, so thank you very much, Ken. Uh, and before we wrap up here, I want to encourage you to share this episode with a friend. I think this was a good one to send. Uh, get the word out that the AIA contract documents are friendly to small firms. And there's a bunch of them right there in this episode that you may want to go check out. Uh, this is episode 213. So share entrearchitect.com slash episode 213. That's the, the link to share. Um, and we're growing because you are sharing. So please do. Please share entrearchitect.com slash episode 213. Um, and go check out my friends at ArcaSpeak Podcast and Inside the Firm Podcast. Those are two more podcasts uh, that you will love. If you love Entree Architect Podcast, you should definitely have ArcaSpeak and Inside the Firm on your playlist. Don't miss them. Go check them out. Uh, ArcaSpeakPodcast.com and InsideTheFirmPodcast.com to learn more about both of those shows. Um, and before you head out here, I want to remind you to check out Entree Architect Foundations. Today is the last day you can get them before they go back into the Academy membership. It's a collection of more than 50 business forms, spreadsheets, checklists. They're all designed specifically for you 
small firm architects. They're actually my documents that I developed for my small firm. I, take, I took everything that I had, bundled them up, and I am offering them to you. You can learn more about them at entrearchitect.com slash foundations. This collection, it includes everything I have. So they're documents for business administration, design development, project management, construction management, uh, my sales system, and project organization. It's everything I have, everything that I use for my firm. Uh, and I was just inside that library just the other day. I was cleaning things up, making sure that everything was working nicely. Uh, and I haven't been in there in a while. I, I forgot how powerful these documents really are. There's a construction cost estimating calculator in there. You just put in your uh, amounts and, and what you want to estimate and it all plugs it all in. Um, there's a pre-designed client questionnaire, my pre-designed client questionnaire that I developed for the early phase before you start designing that helps uh, get clients to provide you feedback, that early feedback to help you design the project that they want. I use it on every project that I do before I start designing. It's comprehensive. It's like five or six pages long and has checklists in it and questions about how they live their lives and uh, requests for images. And I love it. It's, it's one of the most uh, uh, powerful pieces of my process of design to get that information early on and get that feedback. I also have all my authorization to pre proceed forms, authorization to proceed forms. They're all in there. It helps manage expectations throughout the process. They're all in there and they're all organized in five or six different libraries. So it's very easy to find what you're looking for. Um, it even has a table of contents. So, um, you know, if you had to develop these, I was looking at these, there's, there's 50 of them. There, some of them are pretty developed because I developed these over years and years, over 20 years it took me to develop these. If you had to do all of them from scratch, it's probably 60 or 70 hours of, of time. I was thinking about it. Um, and if you're, if that's billable time, that, that's like more than $5,000 worth of billable time. So Entree Architect Foundations, it's sold for less than a hundred bucks. 100 is like $97. You get everything in there, all 50 documents. It's all organized, ready to roll. They're templates that you can easily edit for your own firm, put your own logo on them and start using, using them today. And today, Friday, March 30th, 2018, it's the last day you can purchase these documents outside of the Entree Architect Academy membership. Uh, they're free on inside the membership. Uh, but if you want this package, $97 head over right now and purchase the set before we close the doors the end of the day today Friday March 30th they will close they'll go back into membership and you won't be able to get them for several months um, learn more at entrearchitect.com slash foundations at least go check them out there's some sample uh, sample documents in there you can download the sample documents so you can see what they are the full table of contents is there if you want to see all of the documents that are included before you purchase to scroll to the bottom of that page, entrearchitect.com slash foundations will give you everything you want. Go there right now, click the buy button and buy these documents. You will thank me, entrearchitect.com slash foundations. My name is Mark Arlapage and I am an entrepreneur architect and I encourage you to go build a better business. You know why? Because I want you to be a better architect and when you have a thriving, profitable business, you're gonna have plenty of time and resources and money to develop your skills and be a better architect. So I encourage you to go build a better business. That's why I do what I do. I want you to go build it, go build it and then go tell me about it. Tell me how you've succeeded. And I want to see the architecture that you're creating from this thriving, successful architecture business. Love, learn and share, which, you know, thank you for listening. 
I love doing this. I'm glad you're here. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. 
gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.